We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Cross Point Presbyterian Church of Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. This morning we are going to continue in our sermon series in which we're looking at the seven I am statements found in John's gospel. This morning we're continuing in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, let me invite you to use one of the pew Bibles. You can find John chapter 10 on page 767 or page 896, depending on which version of the pew Bible you're looking at. Now, quickly, last week we looked at the first of the two I am statements in this passage. Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door in which the sheep go in and out of. And we said that Jesus is the only acceptable way to access the Father and God's family. That he is the way in, but he's also the way out into a life of abundance that he comes to bring for his people. Now this morning we're going to be looking at probably one of the most famous I am statements in which Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So if you would, let me invite you to stand as we pray and read God's word this morning. Father, I ask that you would help me to speak your word faithfully, clearly, with the authority that comes from you, with wisdom, with humility, so that we would hear your voice within my voice And our faith in the gospel, our hope, and our trust, and our delight in Jesus would increase. We pray all these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to be seated. I want you to notice how Jesus begins this section of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. Now, in the ancient Near East, or what you and I commonly refer to as the Middle East, shepherding was just more than a job. In a lot of ways, it was the foundation of the society. It was the economic bedrock. Sheep provided the necessary supplies for daily survival. Sheep provided things like meat. They provided milk. They provided wool. They provided skins. So the importance of sheep cannot be overstated. They went beyond just being a sacrificial animal for the nation of Israel. Timothy Lanyak, he says that everyone who lived in the ancient Near East would have either lived 
in a household that owned either flocks of sheep or single sheep, or they would have seen shepherds who would lead their flocks to graze alongside the edges of settled areas. So sheep and shepherds were as common to them as cars are to you and me. It was just a part of everyday life. So this was a metaphor that people in the ancient world would have understood. But beyond that, the idea and the metaphor of sheep and shepherding is common throughout the Old Testament. It begins all the way back in the book of Genesis. There are shepherds mentioned dozens of times. From the very beginning of the story of the Bible, we see shepherds appear. The first shepherd mentioned is Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. Other key figures work as shepherds in the story of God. There's Abraham. There's Jacob, who later becomes Israel. He served as a hired hand, a hired shepherd for Laban. There's Moses, the prophet of God, who leads God's people out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into the service of God in the wilderness and into the promised land. And then there is the quintessential shepherd, King David. We read about him in Psalm 78 where we're told that he was taken from the sheepfolds. He was taken from tending the nursing ewes and God brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel. So there's this idea in the Old Testament of leadership, both political and militarily, leadership being connected to the responsibilities of shepherding. Leaders were supposed to execute their responsibilities faithfully, righteously. They were to gather the people together. They were to provide and protect those who were weak. This was what leadership looked like. But when the leadership is poor, because the people rebelled, because the leaders chased after other gods, or when the leadership was simply non-existent, the writers of the Old Testament, they described Israel this way. She's like, she's like a flock without a shepherd. She's like sheep with no one to guide her. So this idea goes throughout the Old Testament. But not only are the leaders like David, others described as shepherds of Israel, but in Psalm 80, God himself is described as the great shepherd of Israel. Isaiah 40, the prophet writes, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those that are with young. One writer, Susan Ackerman, she says that this image from Isaiah chapter 40 is probably one of the influencing factors that develops this image in John chapter 10 of Jesus as the good shepherd. Some of the earliest drawings or paintings is of Jesus, not on the cross, but of Jesus with a sheep on his shoulder, carrying it back to the fold, returning a stray sheep to the flock. Or you could consider one of the most well-known passages throughout the whole Bible. Psalm 23, often referred to as the shepherd song. In it, we read about a God who goes before his flock. He leads them to green pastures. He leads them to lay down by waters where they can rest and be refreshed. He protects with his staff. He comforts. We see that he is a shepherd that meets all the needs of his people. That's why the psalmist says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. Why? Because the shepherd is good and because the shepherd cares for the sheep. And that's how Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on 
I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And then he continues and he contrasts his sacrificial care, his willingness to lay down his life with that of the job that the hired hand does. Jesus says, he who is a hired hand and who is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, well, when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches him and scatters him and he flees. And then Jesus tells us why, because he's simply a hired hand and he does not care for the sheep. So the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus confronts you and I with an uncomfortable truth that we need a shepherd. Everyone needs a shepherd. Now, I've heard sheep being described. They don't have a whole lot of experience with actual sheep. Camels, got a lot of experience with camels, but sheep, not so much. But what I've heard, that sheep are easily frightened and confused. And so they're vulnerable without a shepherd to comfort and protect them. Jesus gives us an enemy here. They're vulnerable to the wolf that comes and it snatches them and takes them away. But they're also vulnerable to themselves. Supposedly, sheep find a little patch of green grass and they start eating. And then they move on to the next patch of green grass and start eating. And if there's not a shepherd there to bring them back, they'll eat themselves off a cliff, quite possibly. Or they'll wind up someplace they never intended to. So they're vulnerable to their own desires, to the things that would draw them away from the shepherd. Gary Paulson, in his book, Hay Meadow, he says, things just happen to sheep. I don't know why it is, but if you have 15 horses... 20 cows and one sheep. And a storm comes up, the lightning will hit the sheep every single time. Now when I hear that, that Jesus is saying, in effect, that you're a sheep. And that you need a shepherd. I don't like it. I like to think of myself as a shepherd. I like to think of myself as the one who's in control. So accepting that we are indeed like sheep is really the hardest part for you and me. It's in our nature to want to be the one that's in control of our lives. We want to be the one calling the shots. We want to be the shepherd who leads rather than the sheep who are being led. I saw a tattoo this week. and The tattoo was uh, written in script and it said, I'm the hero of my story. I don't need to be saved. See, that's our attitude. But Jesus here is saying something entirely different. He's saying, you're so vulnerable. You're so stubborn, you're so weak and hard-hearted, you don't even know that you need to be saved. So Jesus says, everyone needs a shepherd. And when it comes to our relationship with God the Father, Jesus understands ourselves better than we understand ourselves. When it comes to faith, we are like sheep who need a shepherd. We have the tendency to follow rather than lead. You may not recognize this about yourself, but you're being led by someone or something all the time. Either the world, the media, some friend that you trust. But we're always looking for other people to shape and to guide us. Very few people are actually leaders and paysetters. We're all following someone or something. So the question becomes, are you following the good shepherd or are you following someone else? Are you following the good shepherd or are you following something else? I heard of a story in which two men were watching a man drive a herd of sheep through the main street of a small western town. One friend remarked to his other, he said, I thought shepherds led the sheep. I didn't know they drove them with a whip. His friend said, they do. He said, but that man's not a shepherd 
That man's the town butcher. So there's a difference between the shepherd and the butcher. I'll give you an example of how our lives typically are led by the butcher rather than the good shepherd. Durin Gray was a young man who grew up fatherless in poverty. When he was 13 years old, he said to his grandmother, I'm going to do something with my life. He said, football was my way out of the hell that I was living in. I believed it would lift me into the heaven of the American dream. He said, football functioned as my savior. You could replace savior with shepherd. It gave me love. If I played well, I was loved by the fans. It gave me an identity. I was Derwin, the football player. It gave me significance because I was somebody, because I was a great player. And football gave me a mission. My mission was this. Derwin, you can go to college and make something of your life. So he went on to play football here at BYU in Provo. At BYU, he said, my God had finally come through for me. I had an outstanding career and I was later named to BYU football's all-time dream team. He said, I was loved at that school and I met the girl of my dreams. We got married and I was making something up out of my life. On April 25th, 1993, I was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts to play strong safety. Finally, I had done it. I had made it. He goes on to say that it was at this point that God began to work in his life, albeit slowly, when he met the man he called the Naked Preacher. The Naked Preacher was another professional football player who came to share with him the gospel of Jesus. As the Naked Preacher would talk and preach, he said, God's love slowly began to crush me. I had finally achieved the American dream only to realize that it could not empower me to love my wife sacrificially or forgive my father who had abandoned me. My fame and my money could not erase my sin, my shame, my guilt, my fear and insecurity. And then, between 1995 and 1997, I started getting injured on the field. When a professional athlete's body starts to fail, he knows his career is coming to an end. And this is what's interesting. He says, I was letting my God football down. I was unable to serve it. My body was how I made my living. And as it began to give out, I was stripped of everything I thought gave me meaning. I was left with nothing, even though from the outside it looked like I had everything. On August 2nd, 1997, after lunch at training camp, in his fifth season with the Indianapolis Colts, he walked to the dorm room where he was staying. He called his wife. He said, I was experiencing an emptiness and brokenness like I'd never experienced before. So I called my wife and said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. He said, in that moment, I realized that God loved me. Not because I could run fast or jump high or because I was a good football player or for even what I could give him. I realized that as Jesus hung on the cross, I was loved and accepted by God. I realized my sin had been erased by the blood of Christ and it was as if I could see for the first time. In that moment, Derwin, gave, Derwin Gray realized something important. He realized the difference between the good shepherd and all the other false gods and idols that are competing for your and my affections. J.D. Greer writes about idolatry. And he says, Idol idols will always make you sacrifice for them. For Derwin, the idol was football success, and he paid with his body. 
If business is your idol, you'll sacrifice people and relationships. You'll miss dinners and games in order to be at a meeting or to call on a customer. If acceptance, being welcomed into the fold of your friends or that peer group you desperately want to be a part of, if that's your idol, then you'll sacrifice your honesty and pretend to be somebody that you're not. If romance is your idol, you'll walk out on your spouse as soon as the spark seems to have gone. All of these idols are like a fire and that it's never enough. An idol never says, okay, that's enough. Instead, it always demands and asks for, all, for more. The altar of idolatry is terrifyingly insatiable, Greer writes. The more you sacrifice for an idol, the more it will demand. And if you ever come to the day when you can't provide more for the sacrifice of that idol, then it will leave you. It will leave you alone, empty, and broken. Because that's what idols do. But Jesus says he's something entirely different. He's a good shepherd. A good shepherd who rather than demanding sacrifices be given, offers himself as a sacrifice sheep. So everyone know, everyone needs a shepherd. Another thing we see here is that the shepherd knows his sheep. If you were here last week, you remember that we looked at Jesus as the gate or the door into the sheepfold or into the pen. And that how when shepherds would bring their sheep back into the village at night, every shepherd would take his sheep to the sheepfold and they would all go into this kind of common area. Then in the morning, the shepherd would come and he would call out his own sheep. He would call them by name. They would hear his voice and they would come out and follow him. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I know my sheep. I call them by name. Now, it's easy to miss the point of what Jesus is saying here. This is more than just Jesus knows you. This is more than just Jesus knows what's going on in your life or what you're experiencing. Jesus is saying, I know you, but I love you. I know you, and I love you. When you look at this passage, and Jesus never really says anything about loving the sheep, but if you look a little closer, you'll find the connection. Four times the word to know is used in this particular passage. If you skip down to verse 15, read with me. Jesus says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Then if you skip down to 17, notice what he says. The Father loves me. See, that's the key to understanding what Jesus is saying when he says, I know my sheep. He's saying, I love my sheep. I know everything there is to know about him, and I love him. Despite the things he knows about you, if you belong to Jesus, he still loves you. We use this word know to communicate intimate relationship. If you go back to Genesis, Adam knew Eve. Cain knew his wife, and she bore a child. When you get to the New Testament, Joseph was disturbed about Mary's pregnancy because he had never known her. It's the idea of intimacy in a relationship. It's not just about knowing things about you, but he knows you. He knows the deepest, darkest places you don't even know and understand yourself. And he's saying, and I love you. I love you. Four times that word is used. This intimate, sweet, loving 
relationship with the good shepherd. If you don't know this morning that God loves you, then you will be a restless and insecure person. Richard Lovelace, he wrote in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, about the central importance, the need for every single one of God's people to grasp, not just intellectually, but deep in the deepest part of your bones, the fact that God loves you. He said Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, they are subconsciously, radically insecure persons. Much less secure than non-Christians because they have too much light to rest easily under the constant bulletins that they receive from their Christian environment about the holiness of God and the righteousness that they are supposed to have. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce, defensive assertion of their own righteousness and a criticism of others. They can easily come naturally to hate other cultural styles and races in order to bolster up their own security and to discharge this suppressed anger. And in the end, they cling desperately to legalism and pharisaical righteousness. They're marked by envy, jealousy, and other branches on the tree of sin that grow out of this fundamental insecurity. Richard Lovelace says, if you don't know that the shepherd loves you, that the shepherd knows you and has called you by name and loves you, that when trials or tribulations or suffering enter into your life, this is how you're going to respond. Does God really care? Can I trust Him to provide for me? Has He forgotten about me? Is He good? Does He love me? Jesus here in this passage says, I know my sheep. I call them by name. And we have this beautiful picture. A picture of salvation. A picture of sanctification. A picture of protection and preservation. It's a picture of salvation that's provided by the good shepherd who voluntarily and willingly laid his life down for you. The sheep have been given to him by the Father. The Bible teaches us that they were chosen before the foundations of the world. He knows all of them by name. He has the authority and the right to call them. They know his voice and they follow him. They do not follow a stranger. So the elect are called out of the world and they come and they hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. We call this irresistible grace. It's the effectual call of God's Spirit when He takes dead men and women and He makes them alive in Christ. So rejoice this morning. Rejoice this morning in the fact that our Good Shepherd has called you by name. Rejoice this morning and hear the promise of Jesus as He says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know them and they know me. They listen to my voice and they follow me. Rejoice in the fact that the King of love has given to His people eternal life. We will not perish and nothing can snatch us out of His hand.